This morning we turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. Our text is in chapter 4. Our reading is from chapter 1, chapter 1, 1 through 11. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So far, the reading of God's holy word. The text for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, the verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. These words, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So far the text. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 42, 3 through 6. Hymn 42, 3 through 6. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what must our lives look like when grace is in place? The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. That in Christ, we are a new creation. Well, if that is true, if because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we are going to celebrate next Sunday at the Lord's Supper, 
and for which this is a preparation service, if that is true, then what must our lives look like? When grace is in place in our lives, what must our lives look like? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ Jesus? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul explains to us in our text. In those words that he wrote long ago to the Philippians. Those words which come to us this morning. And I summarize it as follows. Think and act as Christians. We'll note that Paul tells us three things. First of all, he tells us about our thoughts. Secondly, our actions. And thirdly, our blessing. Think and act as Christians. We know what Paul says about our thoughts, our actions, and our blessing. Obviously, by the time we come to chapter 4 of his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul has come to the end of his letter. He begins the text by saying, Finally, brothers, in other words, the Apostle Paul is going to give some final instructions which, in a certain sense, wrap up everything that he has said in this letter. And in these words of Paul, as well as throughout this letter to the Philippians, you taste that the Apostle Paul has poured out his heart to the Philippians in this letter. And Paul writes this letter from a situation of personal hardship. Paul was under arrest. He was in prison. And he wrote this letter to the Philippians from his imprisonment. Now the striking thing about this letter to the Philippians is that it is a letter marked by joy. In his dire circumstances, the Apostle Paul writes this letter filled with joy. It's also the letter in which Paul says to his readers, Rejoice always. Again I say, rejoice. And that's because the Apostle Paul writes in this letter about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because he writes about Christ's death and his resurrection and the joy that this gives Christians in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. So his letter to the Philippians is known as a very upbeat letter. And it's in this letter that the Apostle Paul gives some very broad instructions for the church at Philippi. He says in our text, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You might think that what Paul writes here is rather repetitive. He has all these adjectives, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, 
worthy of praise. And not only that, he emphasizes each one of these by using six times the word whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And then he uses twice the word anything, if there is any excellence or anything excellent. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You sense, brothers and sisters, that when Paul wraps up his letter, he gives as broad and comprehensive an instruction as he possibly can. Because he wants the Christian church to think the thoughts of Christ. He wants the Christian church to think as Christians. Now when you read that list with all those adjectives, you might think that the Apostle Paul derived all of this from the humanism of the Greek world in which he lived. After all, the Greeks were fond of that which is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. The Greeks were known for their aesthetics, their culture, their higher thought. They were thinkers. And we still study their thinking today in philosophy. But the Apostle Paul did not get this from the Greek world of his day, brothers and sisters. He got this from the gospel. Because in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes about the fact that the Philippians were partners with him in the gospel. He writes about their partnership in the gospel. When the gospel of Jesus Christ came to them, they embraced that gospel in true faith. And it's that gospel of Jesus Christ which is at the heart and center of what the Apostle Paul writes in these final instructions to the Philippians. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel, Paul has unfolded in a very poignant and striking way in this letter. You all know chapter 2. That beautiful chapter which has those words which are often considered to be a, a hymn, an early Christian hymn or an early Christian creedal statement which tells us that the Lord Jesus laid aside the glory that he had with the Father and came into this world. He humbled himself even unto death on a cross, taking the form of a servant, says Paul. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. And then Paul writes in chapter 3 about the fact that we have our righteousness in Jesus Christ through faith. That's the gospel. And in chapter 3, Paul writes about the effect of that gospel because he writes about the power of Christ's resurrection. And he says that he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection in his life. And that's why Paul says in chapter 1, 
verse 27, to the Philippians, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, as Christians, live in such a way that your lifestyle, your thinking, and your actions are in accord with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lifestyle worthy of someone known to be a Christian. And Paul continues on that theme in our text. That's what it's about. Be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And why? Well, that's out of thankfulness. That's out of thankfulness for the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. Whatever we think, whatever we say, whatever we do ought to be done out of true faith, in accordance with the law of God, and to God's glory. And you recognize that as coming from our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33. In answer to the question about our conversion, our walking in newness of life, and that standard for our Christian life, which the Christian church confesses, was not the standard of the Greeks. And that's why we say that what Paul writes in these terms which would have resonated with his readers in Philippi, those terms find their basis not in Greek thinking of his day, but in the Bible, in the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. That whole gospel of Jesus Christ must mark our lives, must put a stamp on our lives, and it must govern our thinking. That's why Paul says in chapter 1, 9 and 10, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That takes thought. That takes thinking. And now Paul says in our text, think about these things. Think about these things that are honorable, true, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think about these things because a Christian is supposed to be someone who goes through life with a discerning mind. A Christian is supposed to go through life as a thinking person. What that means very simply is, brothers and sisters, that we need to apply by way of our thinking the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. That means that this gospel that we confess on Sunday and this gospel that we here in the preaching, and this gospel which we celebrate at the Holy Supper is not to be just a compartment of our lives, something that we engage in on Sunday, something that we reflect on on Sunday, but for the rest, don't give much thought. 
Paul says, think as Christians. Let it govern your thinking. What that means is, as we go through our days and our weeks and our months and our years, our existence cannot just be about food and clothing and shelter and what shall we do today and what shall we do tomorrow and what will we be doing next week. That's a very shallow existence. Paul says, think as Christians. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen have an impact on all your thoughts so that your life is shaped and molded by that gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that also what Paul is saying in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, 22 through 24, where he speaks about putting off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and being renewed in the spirit of your minds and putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. More about that righteousness and holiness this afternoon because that text from Ephesians 4 figures prominently in Lord's Day 3 of our Heidelberg Catechism and us being in the image of God, us being created after the image of God, being recreated after the image of God. Paul says, think as Christians to put off your old self and to put on the new self requires thought. It requires thought to think about what belongs to the old nature and what belongs to the new nature. What's our standard in all of this? How do we know? Well, God has not left us in the dark. God has given us his law. God has told us, brothers and sisters, exactly what he thinks is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. God has told us where? In the law. In the law that we heard this morning and that we hear every Sunday. It is the standard for our lives as Christians. God has given us those commandments which teach us how we ought to live in relation to God and relation to the neighbor. And when our Savior was on this earth, he explained the law of God in all its depth. And he went to the heart of it. You know the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus taught God's covenant people to think those commandments through and to probe to the depth of those commandments because God wants the heart of his people. And that means, brothers and sisters, when Paul says in our text, 
think about these things, it means that we are called and obliged by God to study his word. We are called to, to read and to reflect and to analyze and to discern. And we need to remember that this gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, must be brought to bear on every aspect of our lives. You cannot compartmentalize your life. You cannot say, well, this is for God and that is for me. What Paul is saying in our text is all comprehensive, as broad as life itself. Let it be done as Christians. It's one thing to think about these things. It's another thing to do them. And that's why we know that Paul goes on to speak in our text about our actions. Verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice them. Don't just think about them. Don't just be the kind of Christian who knows so well how it should be done but then doesn't implement it in his or her own life. Be that kind of Christian who thinks and acts as God would want. And here we touch on a very important thing, brothers and sisters, because it's one thing for us to think the thoughts of God. It's another thing for us to live as Christians in all our actions. The devil loves it when there are Christians who know so well how things should be done, but who don't implement them. That division between faith and practice, doctrine and ethics, is a division that is inspired by the devil. And you see how in our text the Apostle Paul keeps it all together. He says, think about these things and do them. Doctrine and ethics, your faith and your practice. Keep it together because that is what it is to be a Christian. And I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul emphasizes this by using four words. It's very emphatic. It's also very comprehensive. He says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Paul could have just used one word. But he brings four words to bear on this. That's how strongly he views this matter of putting into practice the things of God. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The Philippians 
had heard it from Paul in his preaching. They had seen it from Paul when he was among them in his lifestyle. And now Paul says, put that into practice. It's like Paul is saying, join in following my example, brothers, as he does in chapter 3. And the apostle Paul was, was someone in whose heart the Holy Spirit had given this strong desire to live as a Christian. And that comes out in a very powerful way in chapter 3, because Paul says, and it comes across as a, as a cry of his heart when he says in chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Of course Paul knew Christ. He knew Christ. But he says, I want to know Christ in a much deeper way than just here. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That means, Paul says, I want to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I want my life to be molded by Jesus Christ. I want my life to be shaped by Jesus Christ. And within that context, Paul says what he says in our text. That's why Paul is so emphatic. That's why Paul is so all comprehensive in our text. Because he wants to impart that same thing to his readers. What you have seen in me, says Paul, that desire to serve Christ and to know the power of his resurrection, do that. And then the blessing. The blessing. Paul says, such a life, when you think and act as Christians, such a life is blessed by God. That's verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. Notice that description of God. The God of peace. The God who sent his Son. The God who gave up his only begotten Son in order to bring about reconciliation between God and man and reconciliation between man and his fellow man. That God will be with you then. But notice the conditional character of this blessing. And it comes out in one small word. Can you guess what that word is? It's the word and. Paul says, think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And. That's the consequence. And to have the God of peace with you is conditional upon thinking and acting as Christians. 
It's very important for us to remember as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the Holy Supper. There is no such thing as an automatism. The idea that you belong to the church or to the covenant. And by virtue of that membership alone, all is well. And you can just sit down at the Lord's Supper and partake. No. Paul says, think and act as Christians and the God of peace will be with you. It's not enough to be a Christian in name only. It's not enough to be baptized. It's not enough to have your name in the church register. You have to think and act as Christians. In the Old Testament too, Israel could not presume upon God's covenant blessings. There were the blessings of the covenant and the curses of the covenant. And you all know Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who walks in the ways of the Lord. That's action. And who meditates on the Lord's precepts day and night. Those are our thoughts. How blessed, says the psalmist, because the Lord watches over His way. Well, that's what we need to consider as we prepare ourselves for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Do we think and do we act as Christians? Oh, sure, we say we are Christians. And of course, we're members of this church here. But do we think and act as Christians? And then we have to confess that we all stumble often in our thoughts, in our actions, and we know all too well that we cannot obtain this blessing in ourselves. But we confess Christ, and Paul has written about Christ in this letter. And what Paul says in our text is not intended to earn our salvation or to earn our right to sit at the Lord's Supper, but it is intended to be for us an indicator of whether we have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ in true faith. Because when we have embraced Jesus Christ in true faith, then we will begin to think and to act as Christians. And so then, as we prepare ourselves for the celebration of the Holy Supper, our thoughts and our actions upon self-examination become an indicator for us of our faith. And the Lord Jesus invites all those who have a true faith to celebrate his death and the power of his resurrection, his blessing, 
Amen.